Welcome to the Making Better Bovine Babies podcast, produced by Repro360. Proudly sponsored by Vetakinol, our mission is to help accelerate the rate of genetic gain across the Australian cattle industry. We're thrilled to be able to share with you some of the stories, knowledge and expertise from our cattle vets and producers around the country, as well as some insights from our own team. We hope we can inspire, educate and at times entertain you as we delve into the fascinating world of making better bovine babies. I'm Rebecca Arnott and today I have the pleasure of talking to a good friend of mine, Dr Penelope McGowan, about the fundamentals of assisted reproduction, that is, the hormones of a cow's estrous cycle. Welcome Penelope and thanks for being our first guest. Well, I feel it's a quite a privilege to be your first guest, but it's great to catch up with you, Beck. And can I just say at the outset, I'm really pleased that um, that you and, and Veta Quinol have um, gone to the effort of getting some of this information out on audio, because uh, as you will find out, I spend a lot of time in the car and there's um, no better way to pass time in the car other than great conversation with your colleagues is to listen to podcasts of inf- good information. Before we get into the nuts and bolts, Tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey to becoming a cattle repro then. I grew up as a child on a um, commercial beef cattle property in, in northern New South Wales and um, we, we were forever doing um, AI programs and I spent a lot of time following my passion of riding a horse and of course I was always put to work heat detecting the cows. Now of course I did follow my passion then and, and my interest and went and became a vet and of course followed the, um, the cattle um, the cattle lead of it. I worked in mixed practice in New South Wales for a little while after I graduated and of course then came a move to Brisbane in which case no cattle so I went and worked for pastoral companies and in the pastoral north for about 12 years. Found my, lost myself up there, loved it a lot but of course family followed that and then that's when I moved into doing more assisted, re- assisted and artificial reproduction and have now been 14, almost 15 years within the same business, doing um, conventional embryo transfer, lots of AIing, and getting into some IVF now as well. So and, that's, that's, and that's working for Peter Atkinson, one of Queensland's leading repro vets. Tell us what a typical day or week looks like for you. Well, they're long days, long weeks, and we do like working at night time, <laughs> spend a, little, a fair bit of time in the dark. Um, the, the business is based on the Darling Downs in Queensland, but of course we are ambulatory and we most of it would be within four hours of, of that Allara base. But we do often find ourselves on the other side of the border into New South Wales on the north coast and across into the New England. We cover a lot across Queensland and have clients right up as far as central Queensland. So travelling is what we enjoy doing and working with, with good cattle people and good, and good cattle. The breadth of the work is... Um, predominantly artificial repro we do embryo transfer we do IVF we do some um, plenty of AI but of course around all of that is the setup and the pre-testing so yep we're kept pretty busy. (laughs) Today is about a cow's estrus cycle and we're going to attempt to explain how this works in simple terms without the use of pictures and videos. Penelope would you say that understanding a cow's hormones is a little easier than trying to understand those of a woman? Interesting you say that, Beck. It's essentially the same. The, um, all mammalian um, cycles are essentially similar. Sometimes you have a follicle that will ovulate at a larger diameter, therefore you might have a longer cycle, but essentially they are all the same. 
Um, would I say it's any easier or harder? Probably because I work around cattle, it's much easier. Although being female vet, I guess I get the benefits of both worlds. What I will say to that though is plenty of our clients have had been through assisted reproduction themselves and wholeheartedly they say that they understand their own pro protocols and programs a lot more <laughs> after they've done their cows programs. <laughs> the rate of assisted or artificial breeding has been growing rapidly for some time now. Why do you think this is happening? Well, I think like I mentioned earlier, back in the bad old days, it was all based on, um, on heat detection and if you didn't have really good heat detection capabilities or personnel, you just didn't get the results. Now, we've matured our programs so, so much better now and they're so much more reliable that we're getting results from them and they are fixed time. So there's no really, with, a, with the use of a scanner now, there's no real requirement to do any heat detection whatsoever. There's a greater ability for genetic selection. So, you know, the, the, the ideas or options to use semen from other countries to, um, to increase the genetic gain by embryo transferring cows. Um, and I think that the, the value of bulls, particularly at this point in time, is going up so far. So a, um, in a commercial sphere, a, an AI program can bring in a lot of genetics that are broader and perhaps better value than trying to put bulls on four legs on your, on your, on your, over your cows on your places. Um, and we've certainly seen just this last couple of years since it's rained again, um, the uptake of embryo transfer and certainly IVF is just, it's just going and going and going. So let's start with the very basics. What exactly is estrus and the estrus cycle? So I guess estrus, the estrus cycle is, is the activities related to estrus. So we get heat and we get ovulation and then all of the other changes in the in the cow's hormone levels that surround the ability for her reproductive tract to have heat and have an ovulation. So we have two phases of the estrus cycle. Let's try and break it down. We have the follicular phase and the luteal phase. So the follicular phase is where the follicle matures and then has enough hormone to ovulate and also then you see the secondary effects of estrus in um, the physical riding and the sexually active group if it's in a, in a program where you've got them all coming on together. And then the luteal phase of the cycle is when the cow is under a sense of being pregnant. So you have a progesterone releasing from, from a corpus luteum which grows on the ovary. Um, to, to put it simply, um, day one would be your day after ovulation. So ovula after ovulation, you will then have a corpus luteum that will start growing on the ovary at the site of ovulation. And that corpus luteum will, will produce progesterone, which is essentially the, the hormone of pregnancy. So during the luteal phase, you have high levels of progesterone, and that will stop any waves of follicles that are developing from actually going on to become mature. Towards the end of the luteal phase, you'll have the third or the fourth wave of follicles that will be growing, and one of those follicles will become dominant. Now, the dominant follicle will produce and secrete estrogen, while the corpus luteum is regressing, the increasing estrogen then pushes other hormones on a um, feedback me mechanism to start to be secreted, which will actually completely mature that, that follicle to a point of ovulation, which is where, around about day 21 in, in most cows. So you've mentioned estrogen and progesterone. There's quite a few hormones involved in the estrus cycle. Should we have a look at these just one at a time? Sure. Perhaps. So, let's so we'll start with progesterone. Like I said, it's the um, it's the hormone of pregnancy. So 
it's the one that's produced for the longest part of the cycle. Um, it suppresses heat and it blocks ovulation essentially. Uh, Q-mates are what you will see in the commercial world that um, mimic what the natural progesterone can do. So these, um, these devices are impregnated with, with um, progesterone and we insert that device for a period of time at any point of that cow cycle to mimic the luteal phase in the cow. And how does oestrogen fit in with that? So the oestrogen comes at the other, in the other part of the cycle, the follicular phase, when we get increasing amounts of oestrogen. So oestrogen um, is produced by the follicles and as the final waves of the follicles mature, you um, have the dominant follicle emerging and the concentration of oestrogen in the blood will increase, which will then combine to instigate the ovulation. So essentially, from a um, program point of view, the oestrogen promotes follicle maturation and it causes your external symptoms of heat. It'll also reset the, reset the whole um, cycle at the beginning of the program when we give an estradiol benzoate injection straight after device insertion. So we use it twice in our um, fixed-time AI programs. And then they're the, two, they're the two hormones that are produced on the ovaries. Now, in sync with those two hormones, we have um, three other major hormones. Um, one of them is prostaglandin. Prostaglandin is actually produced by the uterus in a natural cycle towards the end of the luteal phase. Prostaglandin will start to be secreted when the egg fails to fertilise or the embryo fails to progress. So we're still in the cycle, in that first cycle. So the, P, the prostaglandin actually causes the corpus luteum to regress. So as the corpus luteum regresses, you get less prostaglandin being produced, which allows the estrogen to start taking over the cycle towards the end of the luteal phase. Prostaglandin as a synthetic, or we can use it um, to manipulate the cycle, acts on the, the corpus luteum. So as long as you have a functioning corpus luteum there, we can inject the prostaglandin to induce ovulation or heat. So you've got um, GnRH, gonadotrophin releasing hormone. What role does it play? So it's one of the two hormones that are produced in the brain. So the, the GnRH it is produced by the hypothalamus and it actually is a releasing hormone which then uh, it prompts the pituitary gland to release both either um, FSH or LH, which is follicle-stimulating hormone or luteinizing hormone. The GnRH is released from the brain after the removal of the blocking action of progesterone. So then as the progesterone concentrations decrease in from the ovary, the GnRH pulse will start increasing, which will then act on the pituitary gland to trigger the release of the, um, the two stimulating hormones. So Penelope, how are all these hormones made or sourced for use in synchronisation programs? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> a lot of the time we just pick it up off the shelf, don't we? Or we just order it from the wholesaler. But um, generally speaking, um, there are synthetic analogues of um, prostaglandin and um, gonadotrophin-releasing hormone. And then, of course, after that, you've got your FSH, which is follicle-stimulating hormone, um, again, used to help in embryo transfer programs and IVF, some IVF programs. It is um, built from from a pig follicle-stimulating hormone. We harvest the pituitary and um, create the FSH from there. It sounds like there's a lot of protocols. Um, can you shed some light on these and how do you decide which one to use for which herd? There are many protocols, Beck, and I think as, as time goes on and with various different company uh, players in the market, um, we've been 
we've been given on, on, on our tables fancy names for lots of different programs but essentially there's probably you can break it down into two different kinds you've got so one type of protocol that's for market eligibility so your EU market won't allow you to use um, estradiol benzoate so we've been able to develop some protocols around not using estrogen and using GnRHs instead and then you've got the the other programs which I'll call your regular programs fixed time AI fixed time programs and which use estrogen um, but there's the, the differences in them are essentially your device insertion time. Um, if you need to have short in, short insertion times, we manipulate the use of estrogen and prostaglandin at, at either end of it. And our what we like to use mostly is a um, a, a ten day program, so eight day insertion and then AI in the afternoon of the tenth day. But there are plenty to use, and you know they're all they're all good. Yeah, we just in our hands we like to use a 10-day program where time constraints allow. And do you see differences between northern and southern Australia or between Boss Indicus and Boss Taurus herds? No, I don't do much work in the south, in fact, hardly any, but I think you could definitely you could definitely draw a line on Boss Indicus. Um, we use the same programs with them, but um, we we don't think, feel that they respond as well to the, the hormones. And that might not be the hormones, it, it might just be the, the fact that their temperament isn't the same as the, um, the British and European breeds and they, they do stress, they get anxious and they release cortisols when they're yarded up multiple times over short periods, which you do in these programs. So um, there's, there's probably a, a more of a difference further south as you, and particularly in dairy where we're not to be using estrogens anymore. What trends are you seeing in your work and what do you think this space might look like in another 10 years or so? Well, I think in our particular space in the last 18 months, we have been blown away by the amount of work that, and, and this is probably the embryo transfer and IVF uptake, but certainly commercial AI programs, the amount of work that we have had put in front of us. And I guess there was a bit of a lull during the drought, but there seems to be so much confidence now and there's such a, um, a big deficit of, of cattle in this country that there's so, the the consistency of work and you know big jobs putting hundreds and hundreds of embryos in and big jobs flushing hundreds you know flushing multiples of dozens of cows to get to put embryos together for these big jobs so I think um in 10 years I think that it'll only it should only improve um and we'll we'll bolster off where we're at right now um I think if you look at IVF uh, from from in our hands anyhow we we've recently started an IVF lab and um, there's been quite a bit of demand for it um, globally more embryos are now produced by IVF than they are by conventional ET so that's probably not the case in Australia yet but there are more operators in that space in Australia and that can only probably lead to more and more IVF embryos produced and from a commercial perspective I think that um, trying to rebuild the cattle herd and trying to do that um, with better genetics and which will get us a better article, I think that um, AI programs in the commercial world will only only become more broader and larger and more consistent. We're focusing on accelerating genetic gain. We're focusing on continuous improvement and getting as much as we can possibly do right. But all too often, things that shouldn't go wrong do go wrong. So to wrap up, could you share with us one of one or two of your, let's say, SH1T experiences and how it could have been prevented, if it could have been? Sure, Beck, sure. I have many. <laughs> I love the story I've heard you tell before about vaccinating. 
um, it's interesting because I mean, when you when people are budgeting programs, everybody you know, you're looking at your costs, and of course, vaccination is another cost. But we have been disappointed a um, couple of times recently where we've um, advised about vaccinating um, for reproduction diseases, which are vibrio and um, pestivirus and lepto, and. I mean, I understand that there are costs involved in, in any synchrony program and um, everybody's doing budgets and, and every extra cost does actually affect the bottom line. Um, in big programs, though, oh, this is a story about a big program and we, um, we had a big thaw and transfer program. So we had um, about 350 embryos that we put into a big mob of heifers up in central Queensland. And at the time, my colleague was preg testing, we, he was finding um, dying fetuses and lots of you know, infectious processes going on in the uteruses by scan at a, at a, a eight, seven or eight week preg test. Anyhow, we did an investigation and, and really disappointingly came up with Vibrio right through that herd, which we could have avoided with a vaccination program prior to the program. But instead we lost at least 20% of the um, pregnancies to Vibrio, and it could have been more. It's just that 20% of the empties were found with muck in their uteruses or, you know, with fetuses dying at the day of pre-test. So that's another good story there, and, and that is the, the moral to the story again is to consider all advice, particularly around vaccination. And Vibrio, as you as you would know and as everyone realises now, is um, quite prevalent across the beef cattle herd in Australia. Thanks, Penelope. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. Please let us know and feel free to share it with anyone else you think might be interested. If you'd like to learn more, jump onto the Repro 360 website and download our article on hormones of a cow's oestrus cycle. Or if you'd like to chew the fat further, give us a call on 1800 032 355.